I'm gonna I'm gonna share with you guys just to just to get loosened up. Okay, my one of my favorite bad jokes. How many of you guys here you like bad jokes? You like bad jokes? Like 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 good jokes are good, but bad jokes are very good, right? Okay. Um, and this uh, is a BM bad joke. Okay. Uh, so 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 if you are BM speaking, I wanna ask you. Okay, gajah. You know gajah, right? What's gajah? Okay, gajah terbang dengan apa? Answer, answer, yeah. Telinga, telinga, I heard telinga. Gajah terbang dengan apa? Kentut. <laughs> Any other answers? Gajah terbang dengan apa? My daughter doesn't want to give it away, so she's so good, yeah. You want the answer? It's not telinga. Sometimes when I ask this question, people say dengan jumbo jet. It's not jumbo jet, right? Last chance. Gajah terbang dengan apa? The answer is dengan susah payah. <laughs> With much difficulty. Okay. Now, here's the thing. Okay. Today, we are going to be looking at the church in Thessalonica. And they are going gonna go through a lot of susah payah. They are gonna gotta go through a lot of hardship and affliction and persecution, but God is gonna give them wings to soar above what's gonna happen to them. God is gonna give them uh, a, an extra jet fuel, right, to rise above their situation, so that they are not just conquerors. That the church in Thessalonica will be like more than conquerors. Amen. Amen. Now. When I ask, the more I read the book of Thessalonians, first and second, the more I really want Sungai Buloh Church to be like them. Okay, so today is going to be big because today we want to be. Sorry, I think I just accidentally muted. No worries, it's all good, right? We want to be like this church. This is a church we want to model ourselves around. And it's not just the church and their effort at the heart of it, it is that there is a God who loves the Thessalonian church, who is for the Thessalonian church, and this God is still the same God. He hasn't changed to a new version. You don't need to download a new patch. This God is still here. He is for us. And as much as he loves the church in Thessalonica, he loves the church in Sungai Buloh. Amen? Amen? So today, I want to show you a few really amazing things, okay? So that all of us can terbang dengan walaupun susah payah, right? Walaupun susah payah, all of us can rise up on wings of eagles, okay? And we'll run and not grow weary, you know, and we will, we will grow strong. Enduring pain, growing strong. Amen? All right, now, if you were here with us last week, you would know that First Thessalonians was a letter, and after that letter um, to, the first, to the Thessalonians, there was a little break. I'm just going to try to get this going. Yes, all right. Um, after that letter, there was a break, Okay, there was other communication. We're not in that today. Okay, and then there was Second Thessalonians. We're studying Second Thessalonians, but we'll be we'll be dropping into First Thessalonians over and over again to get some context. Okay, now second letter, first letter. Stuff is said in the first letter. Now, how many of you guys just now you heard uh, our brother Zalor sharing about our dominate 
altar, right? And every every Saturday we gather, right? We've been gathering online and, and now we're encouraging all of us to gather physically, to pray together. How many of you guys, you believe that prayer works? Virtually all of you raise your hands, right? How many of you, you've got a great prayer life? Raise your hands. See, you see, there's something not integrating in our lives. We do believe that prayer works. We do believe that prayer works. We believe it in our heads, but we may not always believe it in the way we order our lives because if prayer really works, as you and I raised our hands to declare we believe it, then why don't we have a great prayer life? Because you would have a great prayer life if you really believe that it works and you see it working and you would be praying all the time, right? Now, here's the thing. I want to show you from first to second Thessalonians, how prayer works. And this is so important because as a church, we want to be a praying church because we really believe that when we pray, God hears. We're not just speaking words into thin air. We speak the words and He hears. There is actually a recipient behind our prayer. And every Saturday morning, we gather, we pray at our altar. We call it dominate because we believe that at the place where we gather to pray, God dominates our hearts so that we pledge allegiance to Him, we belong to Him, He fills our heart with a love for Him and a love for each other. He dominates our hearts. And then He dominates our atmosphere so that wherever we go, we carry a power. Wherever we go, we carry an atmosphere. Wherever we go, we carry um, um, an, an influence. And then through us, His viceroys on earth, through us, His, his small rulers on earth, He has dominion over this well, and that's why when we pray, we pray for God to dominate. Now, I'm going to show you in First Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul prays a particular prayer for the Thessalonian church. I'm going to show you that prayer. Okay, he says this in his prayer. Now, may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. He wants to go to the Thessalonian church. He is being blocked. At one point, he says he's blocked by Satan. He's blocked by the work of the enemies of God who are persecuting them and refusing them entry. Eventually, they send Timothy in because Timothy is not the high-profile one. So Paul can't go in. Eventually, they send Timothy in to deliver the second letter. At this point, they say right that they are praying so that God can direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you what? Increase, everybody say increase, and abound. Everybody say abound. Everybody say increase and abound. Simon says increase and abound. <laughs> right? Increase and abound in love. So, so we know now what they are supposed to increase and abound in. Increase and abound in love. In love for who? Not just your wife or your husband or your boyfriend, girlfriend, increase and abound in love for one another. And then, and for all. So there is the one another that's us in the church for each other because his letter is to a church. So that's the contact. It's increase and abound in love for one another. Now, just look around. Look around. Everybody look around. I don't see y'all looking around. That's the one another. Okay? Okay, you look around. You see each other. That's the one another. And then, everybody look out those doors for all. 
Okay, so you're going to increase in love for one another, look at one another, and then for all. Okay, and that's the call. That's the prayer. Paul is praying this for the church in Thessalonica. As we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So this is the prayer, right? Now, increase and abound, these two words are fascinating. Fascinating because if I were to just isolate these two words, I'm going to show you what's working here. The word increase speaks of a numerical increase. It speaks of a quantitative increase. So he's praying that you may increase numerically, increase quantitatively in love for one another. And what does that mean? It means that today you've got capacity um, to show genuine, uh, uh, practical love to three people. Three, okay? And that's quite good. Three people are really in relationship with you. They know your heart. You know their heart. You're there when they're down and all that stuff. The day will come when three is going to become four. And four is going to become five. And that's increase. The Greek word is pleonazo. It means to do more. It means to add numerically to that increase, right? But it doesn't just say increase numerically because the other word for abound is to pleonazo and peruseo. And the peruseo means that you increase qualitatively. It, is, it means to exceed, to excel, or to superabound. Okay, so what it means is that if yesterday you love three people really well, tomorrow you're going to love those three people even deeper, even richer, even more self-sacrificially, even more attentively, even more, even more gently, even more patiently. And so when you put these two together, Paul is praying and he's writing this prayer to them. So they know what he's praying. I'm praying for you that you will love each other more numerically and more qualitatively so that everybody who sees you will know something special is going on here. That's the heart of Paul's prayer now, right? Okay, so, so that's the prayer. Now, we're going to take a break from 1 Thessalonians, okay? Letters been sent, prayers been offered, God has heard. How many of you, you want a good prayer life? You want a vibrant, robust, happening, engaged prayer life? Raise your hands, okay? How many of you guys, you believe in the power of prayer, but you don't want a great prayer life? Raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hands, right? Okay? How many of you, you want to pray prayers like this? Raise your hand. I want to pray prayers like this, okay? In fact, this week, I've been praying this prayer for all of you. Some of you, I've been naming you in my prayers. From some of you, I, I see your face when I pray. I've been praying that your love for one another will also increase and abound. I'm going to show you now. After one letter and a span of time in between, let me show you what happens by the time the report comes back to Paul from Timothy about what's happened in the Thessalonican church. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. By the way, Silvanus is the Greek name for Silas. So if you read your New Testament, you see Silas, Paul and Silas, same guy. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought 
always to give thanks to God for you. Now, let's just pause on that line because I want us to just sit in this for a moment. Ought to give thanks. You know the word ought is not the same as must. Must means you're forced. Yeah, you're the boxer, right? Okay. Ought means you haros. You ought to means there's a moral right thing to do, right? It is the actual, true, correct thing to do. We ought always to give thanks to whom? To God. For what? For who? For what's going on? For you. When's the last time you gave God thanks for one of your sisters and brothers in Christ? Maybe not yet. I hope that we grow this muscle in us so that we're constantly giving God thanks, saying, God, I want to thank you for Zillot. I want to thank you for Zillot because he is really one guy who's holding up um, the atmosphere of prayer in our church. Lord, I want to give you thanks for Sharon because she's, she's, uh, she's, she's leading a, a group of faithful believers and they go through thick and thin together. Lord, I want to give you thanks for Uncle Vincent who at a drop of a hat said, yes, I'll play Cajon today. And he plays it so beautifully, right? I want to give thanks to God for every single one of you. Every single one of you. I want to give God thanks for those of you who dropped in here for the first time physically in our church, you know. And if that's you, I want to say big welcome. I give God thanks for you. Give God thanks. A spirit of gratitude is so important. Give God thanks for you, brothers and sisters. It's ungendered, okay? As is right. Remember, Haros, it is the right thing to do. Because, now here's the rub. Take a look at this. Your faith is growing abundantly. So something has happened in between Paul's prayer in 1 Thessalonians and Paul's report that he's getting back in 2 Thessalonians because their faith is growing, not just growing, growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. How many of you believe in it, that, that God hears your prayers? How many of you believe that God heard Paul's prayer in 1 Thessalonians? Because clearly God heard Paul's prayer, right? And that's why he's giving thanks to God. Faith is growing abundantly. The love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. That's the Dengan Susapaya, right? Okay, that's what's happening. Now, my friends, a lot of words here. Let me just pick out the key words. And through these keywords, you can kind of get a, a, a clear picture of what's happening on this slide. I'm going to arrange them backwards, okay? The keywords, enduring persecution and affliction. You see that? If you read this passage so fast, huh, you may not even realize that something's going on here. They are enduring persecution, right? They are displaying steadfastness and faith. And in the midst of all this, their faith is growing abundantly and their love for one another is increasing. And so, my friends, today, as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, I want to show you that 
what's happening here is that they are enduring pain, but they're growing strong, strong in faith, strong in love. And this is so important because as they go through pain and suffering and hardship, and their love for one another grows together with the pain and hardship, and their faith in God grows together with the persecutions, it's going to cause them uh, to live a life worthy of the call God has given them. It's going to cause them to stand firm and hold on in the midst of, of difficulties, and it's going to cause the gospel to speed ahead, to go out through their lives, by their hands, by their lips, into the world out there. That's why they don't just love one another, but all of them as well. All this is happening in the next few weeks right here in our church, and we're not just going to study it, we're also going to embody it. Okay, so every day this is what we're going to do. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to show you today. Through enduring persecution and affliction, two things happen to the Thessalonican church. Two things. The first one is faith is growing abundantly. Everybody say faith. Faith is growing abundantly. Second thing that's happening is love for one another is increasing. Everybody say love. Faith, love. Two things is happening to the Thessalonican church. Faith is growing abundantly. Love for one another is increasing. Now, every time you see the word faith, now some of you, you have seen this before, because if you have been with us so over the last year, you would have seen this, okay? Every time you see the word faith in the New Testament, the Greek word is, come on, do we have good students here? Pistis, right? Okay, every time you see the word faith, your word, Greek word is pistis. The word faith in Greek, pistis, does not mean only one thing. It means three things all at the same time. Okay, it means all these three at the same time. The first one is a mental affirmation. You say yes in your head and in your heart. You say yes, I trust you, Lord. In your head, in your heart, you say yes, right? right? And you believe. That's what a lot of times when we say that you believe, when you believe that Jesus Christ died to save you of your sins, it's this aspect of faith, of pistis, right? Okay, that's a mental affirmation. But it's not just that. It's also something you profess. So you use your mouth. You say, Lord, I believe you. Lord, I trust you. You use your mouth to declare a word. You use your mouth to declare your trust in him, your loyalty to him. You, you say it, right? That's also faith. That's also pistis, right? And then you act out a loyal allegiance to King Jesus. And that is the final piece of this Greek word which sometimes is translated as faith, sometimes it's translated as faithfulness, which looks a lot more like this. But you should know this, the English vocabulary has different words to try to capture a word that has multiple facets in it. But every time we see the word faith in the New Testament, Greek word is pistis, it is something in your heart, it's something you say, and it's how you order your life to walk, okay? Very important. So, they're going to grow in business. They're going to grow in how much they trust God in their heart. They're going to grow in how much they declare and trust God in what they profess. They're going to grow in how much they order their lives in loyal allegiance to King Jesus. And all this is happening at the same time. Now, 
faith grows abundantly. I want to spend a little moment here to think about the way this is structured. When your faith grows, your faith grows, it increases, it increases quantitatively, it increases numerically, it increases qualitatively as well. It increases to feed your own needs, correct? Your faith, you, you, your faith is for yourself first, huh? just so you know. Huh? You can't have faith to give other people if you don't have faith for yourself. My, my friends, if you are dry, you're walking in God, but you're dry and you've got, your tank is empty, you can't serve other people. You can, you can act in ways that look like you're serving other people, but actually you're serving out of an empty tank. That's not going to bless nobody. Your tank, your tank needs to be filled, right? And I was just reminded yesterday morning about the parable of the 10 virgins. Remember the parable of the 10 virgins? How five of them brought extra fuel for their fire, right? And then five of them did not, right? And those who brought extra oil, extra fuel for their fire could keep on replenishing. They had faith for themselves, okay? And then the others, the other five girls didn't have faith enough for themselves. And so the question is, do I give you my faith, right? Now, if those five girls who, who brought, those five virgins who had extra faith, had extra, 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 extra faith, then there would be an overflowing of faith, right? But we're not, we're not in that parable today, so don't worry about it. Here, I want to bring it back to every single one of us. Do you have people around you who are hanging on your faith? If you're a parent, are your children hanging on your faith to some extent? Quite possibly, yes. Do you have a newer believer walking with you who to some extent is hanging on an overflow from you for your faith? To some extent, perhaps, yes. In this church, we want to encourage every single one of you not to live off secondhand faith from someone. If your faith is borrowed from your parents, is borrowed from your pastor, is borrowed from your cell leader, that ain't going to carry you very far. You need to find and grow faith for yourself. But my friends, it's not good enough to just grow faith for yourself because the prayer that Paul makes to God, then the reality that Paul starts to see taking place, the answered prayer is that their faith grows and it's so abundant, it overflows. It overflows out of them so that now somebody else is being touched and being fed and being watered by your faith that overflows. Now, I want you to think about one person. Close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. Everybody close. I'm going to close my eyes, okay? Who is one person? I want you to bring their face before you who could really do well from your faith overflowing into such abundance that it feeds and waters you and more so that it overflows to them. And when it overflows to them, they become touched by the love of God and become watered and fed by the power and faith of the living God because what you have is overflowing in surplus and they are drinking off your surplus. Now, hold on to that. Hold on to that picture. I want to pray 
right now for every single one of the people whom you have in your mind. Father, I want to bless you and thank you for every single one of our family, our friends, our loved ones, and the people we care about whom we are thinking mentally of right now. And I pray for the faith of Sungai Bulo Church to grow and abound so that it pours out and pours over so that there will be an overflow in this place. There will be such an overflow of faith, such an overflow of mental belief, such an overflow of spoken faith, such an overflow of enacted loyalty, such an overflow of walking right with you that it will catch fire among the people with whom we are thinking of right now. And I pray this prayer for Sungai Blow Church. I pray this prayer for Sungai Blow Church's loved ones whom we are thinking of right now. In Jesus' name, amen. You believe in the power of prayer? Church, you believe in the power of prayer? Amen? Amen? We just prayed that. And I believe that your faith is going to start growing. I really believe. If I don't believe that, no point we pray, right? What for we pray? Make some noise only, right? But do you really believe that in the last 20 seconds, your faith is starting to grow because God heard that prayer? Yes! There's no way we can live if we don't believe that. We have to believe that. And I do. Okay, I do. Now, faith grows abundantly into an overflow. Here's the thing. They are not just experiencing a growth in faith in times of just being cool and calm and peaceful. They are experiencing a growth in faith during a time of persecution and affliction. Do we trust God more when we endure pers- affliction? Think about that. Think about that for a moment. Do you find yourself trusting God more during times of suffering? Or do you find yourself trusting God less during times of suffering? You don't have to answer me. It may even answer differently depending on what kind of suffering. It might, it might, it, you, you might answer differently depending on what season of life you're in. Maybe when you are full of faith, you grow even more during times of affliction. I don't know, but I'm showing you and posing you this question so that we start to think and pray through this because the Thessalonican church grew in faith during affliction, which means that the conditions for them to grow in love and faith did not on the outwardly appear to be the right conditions. My friends, church, sometimes the things that we think that, oh, God, I will serve you when everything is right. God, I will, I will uh, be more faithful when I have the time for it. God, I will start doing my quiet time after I finish with this project, right? God, I'm going to, uh, uh, once this situation is done, then I'm going to give you, uh, then I'm going to start trying to read my Bible in a year, right? We always imagine that when conditions are perfect, then I can do my spiritual things. When the situation has calmed down, then I can get close to God. But I'm not so sure, you know, church, I'm not so sure. In fact, the evidence I get from the Bible seems to be that when conditions seem to be all wrong and everything is chaotic and everything is falling apart and everything is not going according to plan, when everything seems to be facing um, headwind and opposition and, and disturbance and difficulties, that's usually the time when it's hot 
in the kitchen, your fire, your the fires in the, that forges your faith. That's what happens. And so I want to encourage you, my friends. If you are in a season of particular unrest, difficulty, challenge, stretching, if you are in a stretching season and you feel you're going to snap, this could very well be the fires that forge your faith the most decisively. Don't waste your fire. Don't waste your stretching. Don't waste your season of affliction. Amen? Amen? Because God is going to use it. I genuinely believe this. If I didn't, I wouldn't be saying this to you. I really believe that in your season of susapaya, God is going to come and use that to do the most incisive work, the most decisive work, the most shaping work in you. He does it when your chips are all down. And that doesn't mean that when your chips are up and everything's going well, that God can't work in you. But I want to encourage those of you who are going through a difficult season. Now, I want to move to the second point. Because in the first point, your faith grows and then grows abundantly to the point of overflow. Second point is this. The love for one another is increasing. It's not a coincidence that as the faith grows to an overflow, that your love for one another starts increasing. They are linked. They are the same and the one thing. How do you love one another when you yourself are well-loved and well-watered? Right? When you yourself experience, taste, genuine care, love, you feel it, you know it, you are secure, you know, insecure, wounded, uh, uh, um, uh, bitter, unloved people find it very hard to love others well. They, be, they are unlovable, but they are also very hard to love. They, they find it very hard to genuinely love other people well. And if they appear to be loving other people, if you ever try to love someone who is really bitter, really unloved, unnoticed, uncared for, you'll find that their kind, the love that they can give back to you might come with all kinds of, all kinds of brokenness that's part of sinful nature. When we are broken, we offer that which is broken. We, go, we do our best. We do our best, and sometimes it's the best we can give. But let's be real. If you're not loved by God tangibly, lovingly, self-sacrificially, I'm quite sure that you don't have that to give someone else. Now, here's the thing. Their faith is growing until they are filled up and then overflow. Overflow into what? Love for one another. And then that starts to snow. Ball, right? How do I know this? It says here, we ought to always give thanks to God for you. I've read this earlier. Because your faith is growing abundantly, the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Okay. Now, this doesn't exist in isolation. Paul is not the only person talking about the importance of loving one another. Jesus spoke about the importance of loving one another. He said this in John 13. He says this again in John 15. I want to read you here now from John 13. A new commandment I give you. It's not even the apostles. This is Jesus himself. A new commandment I give you, that you love who? One another. Look at each other. That's who Jesus calls you to love. It's a command, huh, by the way. It's a new commandment, by the way. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I've loved you, you love one another. 
and they haven't seen him love self-sacrificially to the point of death yet. By John 13, they have seen him love them by healing the sick, driving out demons, teaching them, practical day-to-day loving them, walking with them, caring for them, and yet they haven't seen the greatest, grandest display of love that they're going to see by the time you read to John John 20, you're going to see that love being displayed in the most splendid, magnificent form. Jesus goes to the cross. He dies on their behalf. And when he does that, he sets them free from death. If you are new to church, if you are new to this Christian faith, you need to know that on the cross, Jesus lets himself die so that all of them can live. That's how he's going to love them. You also are to love one another by this. Now, here's the key. All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So you know what? The world's not going to care that you are a Christian just because you post stuff on Instagram or just because you retweet someone's Twitter you know, the world's not going to care or recognize that you are a Christian because you call yourself Christian, right? The world's not going to care or recognize that you are Christian just because you, you Bible bash someone or you go around and, and you tell people that they should follow your moral code because your moral code is the best and your moral code is the highest and because they, not, they, they don't follow it, they're going to go to hell and you're going to burn in hell. They are not going to see and care and know and appreciate the fact that you are a Christian because of all those things. Even though a lot of the times we get this whole thing mixed up and we think that that's what it means to be a Christian. Make a stand. Christian's first job is not to make a stand. Just so we know. There's no... There's, I don't think Jesus ever talks about making a stand. I don't see Jesus telling Christians, go out there, stand before the world and make a stand for Christian values. He doesn't say that, you know. You know what he says? By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And when the world sees Christians having love for one another, and then that love for one another abounds until it spills out, and they see that you have love for everybody, that's how they see you are Christian. Wow! Next level Christian. Next level human. Next level friend. Next level next door neighbor. Right? That's the kind of convicting witness that the early church had so that the early church in standing for their faith were not belligerent about it. They were not arrogant about it. They were not, um, what's the word? They were not activistic about it. The early church stood for their faith by loving one another and staying true to God to the point of death. And every time one wave of persecution from Rome Wave after wave, Nero's wave came and went, Diocletian's wave came and went, one wave after another came and went, and every time Christians died for their faith in loving, stood standing by one another, protecting one another, and then all dying one generation after another, more people saw this faith and said, what kind of God do they have? Luabiasa, this God. Next level, this God, unlike any other, this God. And the witness was convicting. That witness is convicting. And so, my friends, by this, everyone shall know that Sumer Church are Christians. 
any other thing, they will say Sungai Buloh Church are belligerent or arrogant or Bible bashing or judgmental or whatever. You can assign so many different attributes and adjectives to Sungai Buloh Church if we do all of those other things. But by the way we love one another, they'll say, it's Christians. It's like Christians, these guys are really the real deal. Amen? How many of you guys want that kind of witness for yourself? Yes? Yes? Only 16 people, right? <laughs> no, more. I can see more, right? Now, in John 15, two chapters later, Jesus says this, this is my commandment, same thing, that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And so, you may ask, oh, I've heard this saying before, love one another as I've loved you, right? And I see how you love me, so I love you back, oh, right? But Jesus is going to show, Ma, remember, the most magnificent, splendid display of love, how he's going to lay down his life for you. And so Christian love is love that sacrifices the self for the sake of the other. And that is spellbinding love. That kind of love overflows and overflows in the midst of hardship, persecution, and much susapaya. That kind of love keeps going on. Now, my friends, I want to share with you something that happened to me recently. You know, I work Tuesdays to Sunday, right? That's my job as a pastor. Okay, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, I do what we generally call office work, right? My, 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 my normal office work, right? Uh, which, which covers totally almost no time in the office except that I spend some time uh, um, uh, in the, with, with some of the other pastors in main church and we, we lead the church from a strategic point of view. Okay, so I spend some time doing that. I spend time uh, uh, crafting sermons. I spend time with the cell leaders. I spend time praying. I spend time uh, uh, nourishing myself. I spend time nourishing others. I spend time uh, coaching. I spend time uh, uh, creating more content for teaching, for, for sessions, for training, and all those things. Okay, so that's my Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then often at nights, I'm in, I'm in sessions, right? A variety of sessions, okay? Uh, Saturday, we pray here, right? And then Saturday, we do other classes and other meetings and all that. Sundays, we have service, right? Now, there was one particular Monday, actually not too long ago, I was really tired. I was really tired and I think someone wanted my time on the Sunday night or something like that. And someone was asking me, can I have some of your time on a Monday, which is my rest day. And all the flesh in me started to rise up. All the flesh in me was like, oh, I want to be selfish today. Oh, I just want time for myself today. I want to do my own projects. I want to do my own things. I want to just nourish myself. I just want to start, start wanting uh, um, because I started seeing uh, um, that one person or that one, two, three people or five, six, seven, eight people have wanting uh, a little bit more of my time as, as being like, are you, are you okay? La? I know I have to give. Oh, yeah, Jesus asked me to give. I'll give. La. But then, uh, and then all the flesh rose in me. So I want you to be patient and merciful and gracious to any pastor you know. Okay? Every single one. I know because I talk to other pastors, right? Every one of us goes through this. Okay? Now, when that rose up, I said, I'm just going to do my quiet time now. So I sat down and, I, and right now in my quiet time, I'm going through a few books. And one of the books I was going through is this book by John Piper um, called 
don't waste your life. And I read this line from, I'm going to turn now to page 102. I didn't put a bookmark on it, but here's what I read. It says, and bear in mind, I was dry, I was grumpy and flesh full. Is that the right word? Flesh word. And, and just full of self, okay? And then I read these words. If we look like our lives are devoted to getting and maintaining things, which was actually what I was trying to do, okay? I was just trying to cling on to my Monday and all my Monday things. If we look like our lives are devoted to getting and maintaining things, we will look like the world. And that will not make Christ look great. And we'll skip to the bottom. There is no doubt that if we lived more like this, that is self-sacrificially, the world would be more likely to consider whether Jesus is an all-satisfying treasure. He would look like one. When was the last time someone asked you about the reason for the hope that is in you? That's what Peter said we should, that's what Peter said we should always be ready to give an answer for. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Now, at that moment, at right at that moment, I had no answer. At that moment, I just wanted to live for myself. And then the kicker, it says this, this book says this. Why don't people ask us about our hope? The answer is probably that we look as if we hope in the same things they do. Our lives don't look like they are on the Calvary Road, stripped down for sacrificial love, serving others with the sweet assurance that we don't need to be rewarded in this life. Our reward is great in heaven, Matthew 5.12. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just, Luke 14, 14. If we believed this more deeply, others might see the worth of God and find in him their gladness. And at that moment, the Lord spoke to me and said, Fergus, will you give for their gladness in God? Will you find the time Will you find the heart? Will you find the joy to give to them so that they can be joyful in the Lord? And after he said that to me, Monday or Tuesday or Sunday or Saturday no longer made a difference because I still try to protect my Mondays. It's important for me to be nourished and rested. But for that moment, he showed me that my eyes were on the wrong things. My eyes were upon me and my right to my rest. And then he said, Fergus, have you thought about their joy in me? Fergus, have you thought about whether you giving them this, which frankly, it's not much. Maybe it was just a phone call or something like that, right? You giving them that little bit would give them joy in Yahweh would make them satisfied in Christ, would make them see Jesus for that maybe 10-minute call. I could help someone see Jesus for the whole day. And my eyes were on myself. And suddenly he showed me self-sacrificing love is the kind of love we are to be known for. That's how they know we are Christians. And so he nourished me on that day through that paragraph. And I'm sharing this with you because Jesus 
will nourish you in the least likely situations when you're most grouchy and grumpy and fleshly and, and, and terrible and horrible, right? And he's going to meet you where you are and speak gently, lovingly to you and unmask some of the things that you are to show you back to yourself and in so doing, show you that the great treasure is Christ himself. And our great reward is not, my great reward is not my Monday. If my Monday rest was my great reward, I would be a pitiful man. I would be the most pitiful man. And I sometimes like to joke that I'm not living my best life now. I don't want to live my best life now. I want to live my best life after I die. Amen? And so, if my Monday was so precious, I have to cling on to it. It can be a different day. It can be a different thing, right? My this, my that, my sleep, when God, uh, when God roused me to, 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 to pray, right? Uh, it could be another thing. Every day, it's a different thing that he's asking of you. Will you sacrifice this little bit, this little thing, so that someone else's joy in me can be magnified and increased? And that's what's happening here. I'm going to move on. Again, None of this is happening in peacetime. None of this is happening in a state of ideal and, 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 and calm and perfect conditions. It's happening in the midst of affliction. Do we love each other more when we endure affliction? I want us to think about that. I spent some time this week thinking about this. Do we actually love each other more? Do we become more caring when there is chaos? Do we become more sensitive and and noticing of one another's needs when there is trouble around us, I think I have an opinion, a thought, an impression. My impression is that when afflictions are globally felt, like the floods that happened in December, January, right? we really do become a lot more loving of each other. We suddenly remember, we suddenly do a drive, we suddenly, you know, donate, we suddenly care for one another, we are out there distributing biscuit and out there distributing blankets and cleaning people's houses. And suddenly, when there is affliction that hits everybody one shot, we all feel it. Why? Because it could have been me. It could have been me who drove down that wrong road and ended up getting stuck in that jam and then the waters inundated my car and it was a total write-off. It could have been me. I drove out that night, that afternoon. And I don't know how I made it back home, you know, without getting caught in any jam. It could have been me. When we feel afflictions globally, communally, we do grow in greater love for one another. But here's, here's the flip side of it that I feel is something we need to be attentive to. When we experience afflictions privately, we tend to withdraw. When we experience pain, difficulty, hardship privately, we tend to cut ourselves off from everybody, isolate ourselves, hide, avoid, evade, until we just like disappear. Suddenly, drop out of church. Suddenly, drop out of cell. Suddenly, drop out of the, your serving team. Suddenly, uh, not picking up calls, almost hardly ever replying messages, and then like, what's going on? Actually, it's just experiencing something. Why? Why? I believe that sometimes we feel shame. I believe sometimes we feel a sense of guilt that I'm, I, I don't want to be someone's problem. I don't want to 
burden the church. I don't want to be, it's very embarrassing for me to have all these problems. I don't want to paise, ah. Yeah, Malaysian people are very easy to paise one, right? My safe face cannot, cannot show people I'm down. I wait till I'm okay, then I'll come back to church. Wrong answer. Church is for the not okay and the okay. And the, most of us are somewhere between not okay and okay anyway, right? Church is for most of the time people who come and they appear somewhat okay. But if we just strip away one layer of every single one of us on site and online, you realize that none of us are that okay. Church is for all of us to come in and to be not so all right. And so I brought this up because in the midst of affliction, pain, and hardship, when it's private, I've observed that we all have the tendency to withdraw and disappear. Don't. Don't. Why? And where do you go to if you say, don't? Okay, don't. Where do I turn to? Every Sunday, at the end of our service, we want to pray for you. And very shortly, I'm going to ask the prayer team to move over to the back. And when they do, I'm going to open the altar. You can just slip your way around the back and someone will pray for you. And when someone prays for you, this is our way of not slinking into a place of hiding. We want to learn to love you. And we want you to learn to love us. I want you to love us. I want you to love each other. And so in a short while, I will open our prayer corner and I will invite you to come and be prayed for, especially if you're going through a particularly trying time. Please don't go through it alone. Don't go through it alone. If you're in a cell group, stay in your cell. Please don't run away now. Now is the worst time to run away when you're going through trouble. It's the worst time to run away. Stay, stay, hang on for dear life. Stand firm, don't be shaken. Amen? Go to your cell member. Go to one of the cores in your cell. Say, I need prayer. I need someone right now. More than ever, I need someone. And you don't have to feel embarrassed because guess what? They need someone too. And there are no celebrities in church. There are no VIPs in church. Not least of all, certainly not the pastor. We are all fellow pilgrims walking, following Jesus. And we need each other. The African proverb says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Amen? You want to go fast or you want to go far? I want to go far. I want to go far with all of you. I want to go together. I hope you will come together with me and with each other. If you are not in a cell group, I want to invite you to join one of our cell groups. Now, I want us to remember that faith in God can grow abundantly when we pray, when we seek Him, and He does that work in us. Love for one another can increase when He does that decisive work inside of us. And the prayer that Paul made in 1 Thessalonians came to fruition in 2 Thessalonians, which means that every single one of us can pray to this God, can seek Him, can know Him, and can see His power at work in us and in those around us. Let us close our eyes.
and I have the worship team to be here with us. If you would like to be prayed for, if you would like to be prayed for, I'm not, you don't have to get up yet. Prayer team can move. Uh, but if you would like to be prayed for, first, I want you to hold your hands open. Right in front of you. Just hold your hands open right in front of you. You're holding your hands open and this is a posture of receiving. It's a posture of receiving. It's not magical. Just because you hold your hands open doesn't mean like something crazy is going to happen or if you don't, then something crazy is not going to happen. You're holding your hands open as a posture of receiving. Oh, Allah Bapa, Allah Bapa, kami doa Tuhan. Semua lidah akan mengaku engkaulah Tuhan, engkaulah Raja kami Tuhan. Bukan saja lidah Tuhan, tetapi setiap hati dengan segenap hati kami, kami akan mengaku engkaulah Tuhan, Raja kami. Not just our lips, not just our hearts, but with our feet and with our lives, we will order our lives dalam hidup kami Tuhan. Kami akan hidup sebagai sebagai uh, penganutmu, akan hidup sebagai umatmu, kami akan hidup sebagai anak-anakmu. Memandangmu sebagai Raja kami Tuhan. You are our God. You are our King. You are our greatest hope. Without you, without you, Lord, life will not be worth living. Without you, we eat, drink, be merry. Tomorrow we die. Everything goes away. But with you, we have a hope for a life beyond this life. We have a hope for a reward far greater than any reward we could hope for in this life. With you, Lord, with you, we have joy. We have a treasure that is the greatest treasure. So, Father, we thank you. May the Lord bless you, church. May the Lord keep you, church. May the Lord turn His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, church. May the Lord turn His countenance toward you and give you peace, church, and all of God's people shout aloud, Amen. 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 Come on, church, let's give God praise and give God thanks for each other. I want you to turn to someone and say, I give God thanks for you. I give God thanks for you. Amen.